Welcome to episode 72 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Lisa and Diane. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Lisa and Diane, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand, as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Have you ever not started something because you didn't think you could do it perfectly? Are you frustrated that your life is not what you think it should be today? Do you not notice how much you have changed? Well, stick around, because today we're going to talk about the phrase we claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of progress and perfection. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Joining me is co-host Mara. How are you today, Mara? I'm great. Hi, Spencer. And Mara's joining us by uh, FaceTime. Uh, So uh, (laughs) it's a little different than my usual. I can't look across the table and see her. (laughs) The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We'll follow that with your email and voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. I'm going to open with a reading from the book Alcoholics Anonymous. This is from Chapter 5, How It Works. It's the paragraph immediately following the 12 steps. And uh, if you got your own copy of the book, it's at the top of page 60. Many of us exclaimed, What an order. I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. And I know, Mara, you uh, you said you really love the chapter 5 in the book, and, and I wonder um, if you could share some of your thoughts about that particular paragraph. Well, I mean, I love the big book. Um, there is not a time that I, I don't open up a page and find something that's applicable. I mean, I'm very tempted to just start flipping through and, you know, all the places that I've scribbled. Um, because, you know, this is the, this is the source literature, but for this, this, uh, paragraph, when you were reading it, you know, the first thing that struck me is one of the things I love is just his tone of voice. Just the way he says, do not be discouraged, the simplicity of it, the encouragement, the warmth, and yet the maturity that's in it. And I feel like um, when it comes to spiritual perfection and the idea of, you know, what is perfection, it's definitely not warm. It's definitely not mature. It's definitely not simple. Um, and... Um, <clears throat> When it comes to being perfect, um, you know, a lot of what I think about is survival and what happens when, you know, we're in like a, a situation in, you know, being 
kids who grew up in chaotic homes and, you know, what happens to us. I mean, at least what happened to me is, um, you know, when you look at the phrase, what an order, I can't go through with it. I don't think, uh, you know, I think as a kid and I think growing up, um, there was nothing that I thought that wasn't my responsibility or that I didn't cause or that, and that wasn't mine to fix. And if it was causing me pain, well, then I had to ignore the pain. You know, I could ignore the pain and endure pain like, like nothing else. So the kind of sort of warmth that he has in his voice, I don't think I really experienced for a really long time in my life. And it's like one of the things that I love the most about the program. What does it mean to you when you read that, Spencer? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the phrase or the, the sentence, whatever, the exclamation, what an order, I can't go through right. with it. Um, that, that particular feeling, I, I get that in, in all different areas of my life. I get, I get that at work, uh, you know, when I'm starting a new project, whether it's a, a small project or a big project, I'm, sometimes my first feeling is, I don't know how I'm going to do this perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't, and we have, um, you know, I, I think I've said I work as a software developer and so we're given a problem to solve and we have to figure out how to solve it and, and then create the computer program or whatever to, to do it. Uh, and at the beginning facing a big problem, uh, I can get into, this thing we call analysis paralysis. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and actually my, my very first real job as a, as a computer programmer, uh, it was a summer job. I started, I, I, I did this thing between uh, the year between summer, between college and grad school. And then I went back for the next summer. And the first summer I was just sort of a grunt. And they said, write this program. Here's what you need to write. And, and I wrote it. And the second summer, I got involved in the analysis side uh, about figuring out uh, what the program needed to do uh, and then trying to figure out how to write it. And basically, there were several of us involved here, and we basically spent the whole summer, minus about two weeks, you know, meeting, meeting with the customer, getting their requirements, writing them down, going back and saying, oh, well, that wasn't exactly what we meant and going round and round and round and generating lots and lots of paper and no computer program. And then it was like two weeks before I had to go back to school and it's like, well, I guess I better write something, write some, write some code <laughs> here, you know. Uh, needless to say, I didn't finish it. Um, I handed mm-hmm. it off to somebody else in the company and I have no idea what happened to it because I never went back to that company afterwards. But it was it was a really valuable experience for me uh, in the, you know, the phrase that, that we've used here, another effing growth opportunity or another <laughs> effing learning experience. Uh, it was definitely one of those uh, uh, learning experiences uh, in the, in the sense that when you, when you, you know, do something and are not successful at it, hopefully you learn something from it. And I did learn something from it, which is, um, that spending spending all the time ahead of time trying to figure out exactly like every single little you know detail uh, is it doesn't work well. So uh, uh, I have lots of experience with what an order I can't go through with it. Uh, <laughs> right, 
And also, I think there's a little bit of acceptance, at least for me, um, when facing my own perfection, that that is actually part of the process. Like, I think part of um, at least perfection <laughs> for me um, is that first moment, you know, I are my expectations of myself so high? Am I, am I so rigid? Am I so brutal on myself that that question, I can't go through with it, you know, is that the end Yeah. or is that the beginning? Yeah. And, <laughs> and that is, I mean, and that's the thing that, that, you know, I've come to learn in my professional life over the years is that, okay, so that's my first impression. Um, now what? Well, do the first step, do the first thing. What is the first thing? I don't, you know, um, the first thing might be, well, let's let's break this up into some manageable sized chunks. Um, the first step, uh, you know, sometimes there's there's a so one good place for me to start often when I'm trying to do something and I'm not sure how to do it is um, what is the thing that I don't know that is blocking me from going forward. What is the big question? What are what are the questions that I have? And maybe I can start with those questions, and maybe I can do a little bit of oh, absolutely work to say, well, okay, right. This is because because you know, getting from getting from here to somewhere else, um, the things that block me are the things that I don't know how to get past, the th- and and a lot of that is because I don't really know what they are, and I think that's one of the you know the beauties of the program, I and mean, we have all these slogans like first things first and. I don't know. Do the do the next right thing. Um, do what's in front of you to do. Um, that are all about, uh, you know, taking that step, taking that step. And and you know, in the program, it's broken down into twelve steps, right? Uh, and and the first one is admitting that I'm powerless. <laughs> um, and the next two are about getting help. And then we get to the one about okay, what is it that's really going on? And and that's a good order for a lot of things, and it's a good order for for breaking through this um, sort of perfectionistic tendency. You know, like, well, what am I powerless over? What what do I need to ask for help on? Who can I ask for help? And what have I got that I'm bringing? And what have I got that I need to work on? Um, and. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so that's what an order. I can't go through with it. Um, and, and, right. and then he goes on and he says, no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. And you know that I need to hear that. I need to hear that because I'm always comparing my inside to your outside and your outside looks a lot better than my inside. Right. I mean, that's right. true for and I mean, everybody, I think. <laughs> Well, and it's, and in your story about your first job, you know, the, what I heard a lot in that, um, at least was not having help, you know, not knowing the, where to reach out or, mm-hmm. you know, who could stop that process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wonder if you felt responsible because like you said at the end, oh, well, I better write some code. <laughs> For me, a lot of times uh, that comes up, um, you know, what an order I can't go through with it, you know, both at the beginning of relationships and at the beginning of new projects. Mm. Because for me, in my profession, um, I deal with a lot 
of new projects that are huge and daunting and complicated. And you look at it and you go, there is no way. (laughs) (laughs) No way this is going to happen. And there is no way, there is no way this is going to come out of my soul. (laughs) And, um, but I think also sometimes I meet new people and I'm like, this person is, and like my, I judge and there's a reaction. I'm like, this person is a total, put in a lot of strong language there in that (laughs) blank. (laughs) And you know what? A lot of times those people have ended up being the most, uh, uh, important relationships in my life. Cause a lot of times those people are the mirror. Hmm. And that's why I react strongly. Mm-hmm. And that's why I react strongly to a, pro- to a uh, project that is intimidating. Because you know what? Maybe it is reflecting back to me exactly what I need to learn or exactly who I am or exactly – it's connecting to something. It's triggering something. Not trigger in a, in a traumatic way, but it is, it is reaching something. And I think sometimes when we say, I can't go through with it, um, is because we don't want – to, uh, I don't want to put this in a, in a derogatory way. We don't want to face ourselves, which I think is actually quite natural at the beginning of something. So at the beginning of these large projects, or sometimes at the beginning of relationships, this happens to me too. It's really a pressurized system right at the beginning. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. I, 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 I had a teacher once who said, yeah, you're always going to overdo it at the beginning. That's it. You're going to overdo it. And you're going to say, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to do this. Um, but that's where I think the things that the program teaches us come into my life that I was never taught. Mm-hmm. That's the, like you're talking about the slogans. Yeah. Easy does it. Easy does it. The there next go. right thing. I think, and the profession that I'm in, I've been doing it for a while now. And I think it's only um, this year, not even a year, that I have actually really broken down my work process into a systemic um breaking things down into the small components, like you said, and still, still I get up some days and I want to do it all. And I want to throw everything at the wall, even though I know that that is not actually, mm, I'm not going to learn that way. But I think that's also part of the difference of, um, uh, making progress rather than being perfect. When, when you want to be perfect, you want to do it all. You want to do it now. And you don't want to grow because you want to assume, or at least for me, <laughs> I want to assume right at the beginning that I, I can either do it all perfectly right now or not. Because growth is hard. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. And you need the things like easy does it and being gentle and being simple and being warm, like, you know, the voice of the big book. And that doesn't come naturally to me. What comes naturally is... Ignoring, you know, when it comes to what does it mean to be perfect, for me, you know, it means ignoring the pain, enduring pain, and looking at the differences, not looking at, like, the similarities, you know, not looking at the thing in the project that I can do, but looking at, but all the things that I can't do, or at least that I judge, you know, my will judges. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that points out another way to sort of make a step forward. Um, is is to start with something that is familiar and comfortable, and and apply that in in your new you know your new project, your new relationship, your new situation, and say, well, that worked. Okay, right. let's let's move on to something that I'm a little less comfortable with, and see how that works. Right. Touch um, and go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, little and, by little. Yeah, and I and I think about you know as you were talking, I was thinking about you know coming into the program. I mean, did I have this 
I can't go through with it feeling. Um, I mean, when I came into the program, there was a lot I couldn't go through with. Um, and I think the the gentleness of the program, and I have a friend in meetings who talks about the gentleness of the Al-Anon program all the time, that you know, take what you like and leave the rest. Take what you can understand and leave the rest. Take what has some meaning to you and leave the rest. Um, felt very reassuring to me when people would talk about concepts that just I, I wasn't able to grasp. And and one of the, you know one of those concepts. And again, I've talked about this before. But one of those concepts was God. Uh, that that they also said, well, you know, take what you can take now. Right. Uh, and and I was like, okay, I don't have to I have to, I don't have to understand this God thing. I don't have to accept this God thing to get some to get some benefit here. I don't have to I don't have to have all these 12 steps perfectly when I'm, you know, in my second meeting. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know? Uh I don't have to have a sponsor right away. I don't have to I don't have to do the steps right away if I don't want to. I can just come to meetings for a little while. And right. and and I think that's I mean and that wisdom is expressed right here in this in this paragraph again, you know. Um you know, we haven't we haven't been able to maintain perfect adherence to this principle. We are willing to grow. The you know, guides to progress. Uh and and just start at the beginning. Uh, and do what you can and the rest will come. Uh, and and I mean that was certainly I I came to Elena not because I had a vision of the recovered me, right? That was I couldn't even have visualized what that looked like. You know, right. I came to Elena because I was in pain, and I kept and 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 I thought maybe this could help. I've tried a whole bunch of other stuff and it didn't help. Maybe this could help. Who knows? Uh, and when I felt better after my first meeting, then I came back. And And my goal at that point was less pain. Um, it, and I don't have to be perfect <laughs> at, at less pain, right? Just less, any, any amount less is, is good. Um, and, and so, you know we're 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 brought in at the rate we can come in. We do things at the rate we can do things, um, and and the program was really good for that. Um, you know another absolutely um, yeah another uh, actually now before I go forward, do you want to um, you have anything you want to share um, on that? Of course, I mean of course you um, do. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because um, the things you say are always. Um, reflect what is best in the program, which is a kind of humility. And, um, I always appreciate hearing that. So that's what I mean. But also <laughs> because, you know, when you said any amount less is good, you know, and I think what is so confusing and almost confounding about the pro about the process of being in the program and about, what is slow about the program is that, say, for instance, what works for you is not necessarily going to work for me, but it is going to inform what might work for me. So, like, at least yeah. for me coming into the program, 
being gentle. Okay. So I am naturally, you know, the dog with the bone. I am naturally, you know, I'm going to be bleeding, but I'm going to get it done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, but you know, so it's like on the one hand, you could say that is a character defect, but on the one hand, what I think the, the program teaches us is the, what are our character defects are also our strengths are also can be our strengths. Like, so for instance, the gentleness that I learned in the program allowed me to be okay with the bigness of who I really want to be. And, you know, you said like, or, or who, who I am or what comes out of me to not, you know, find that I am say, um, I I think we like to say me and my um, program friends too much, um, I think I, I, a friend of mine, we once said, no, uh, it's not that I'm too much. It's that you're not enough. <laughs> and we don't mean it in a judgmental way, but we mean it in that, um, in that for me, my, uh, my reaction, even though I'm, even though I am on the one hand, the dog with the bone, mm-hmm. when I feel threatened, what I do is I retreat. I make myself smaller. I don't feel I'm not allowed to feel because my feelings are a burden to other people. They're threatening. They're too much. And so what ha- would happen to me in meetings um, is the gentleness allowed me to be angry. And I think a lot of people talk about this hmm. in the program where they come into the program and they're like, I am 30 years old and I haven't felt, I've never had a fight with someone. I've never been angry. And it's not like that hasn't, that isn't necessarily my experience, but that sp- it, it, it's, it's almost, it's confusing. And I think that's why the program is sometimes really slow is because that gentleness awakens things that are confusing. It awakens pain, but also with the support of the program, with those warm, with that warmth, you know, those warm voices with the, you develop this courage and this authenticity and then often sometimes what happens, it's, it's funny because, you know, I'll, I'll call my sponsor and I'll be like, or actually, no, it's not, it might not be my sponsor, but in one of the, in the blue book, they talk about in the section on communication, how, you know, it can be uh, counterintuitive, the fact that you might actually end up having more fights with people because you're showing up as your authentic self, your authentic, mm-hmm. imperfect, you're going to say the wrong things and you know what, that's Okay. And that, I mean, and I think that's like, that's, that is, is mind-blowingly brilliant, but it's also not, and it's something that we have in the program. It's not something that everybody has outside of us. And, but once you have it, I think, I mean, at least for me, because it's not natural, I have to keep working at it and keep coming back to it, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. But even just that idea that it's okay to say something and not have it be perfect <laughs> yeah. And to still be at peace, it's not going to kill me <laughs> if I say the wrong thing. It's pretty revolutionary. Yeah. And you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about anger. Right. Um anger is probably the only emotion that I was able to express in in the time leading up to my entry into Al-Anon. I had all kinds of other feelings, but I think they all came out as anger. Um, I remember, I remember my mother asking me, 
about my wife's drinking and, you know, how it was affecting things. And, and my response was very angry. That was the only way I could, I could respond. Um, and when I came into the rooms, I found a place where I could express my anger in a healthy way and where I could start to express those other feelings that, you know, I hadn't been able to, uh, I hadn't been able to bring out except in the dark of the night when there was nobody there but me. Right. Which is not helpful. Um, and I think, you know, I think part of it just was the acceptance and the safety and the example, as you say, um, you know, where, where people weren't prescribing actions for me. They were just talking about their own experience. And, you know, sometimes I could identify with that experience, but, but I think also just with the, with the, you know, the freedom that they felt to express those experiences in the room Mm -hmm. with strangers, you know, (laughs) like crying in public. Can you believe it? (laughs) Crying in public. I mean, I did that for like my first month of meetings, every meeting. Right. Right. Did I ever do that at, you know, one of these recovery center friends and family days? Hell no. Um, Did I ever do that anywhere outside the privacy of my bedroom? Hell no. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that's, and that's, that's a start of progress, right? That, that movement, movement out of the, you know, the shell, uh, into which I had withdrawn. Um, it's a start of progress. Right. And I think, uh, I think, um, you know, that's why to me, the topic of perfection is so much about I think I think why we keep coming back to perfection, perfectionist tendencies in um, in our Al-Anon sobriety um, is because it is so indicative of of what our disease is. Um, because mm-hmm. it's so much about this crippling, baffling idea of at least for me, because my my. Um, uh, a lot of what qualifies me is, is from my childhood, but you know, at least for me, it's this idea of this completely baffling idea of say a five-year-old who is trying to fix their mother. Yeah. You know that? What? <laughs> like what? <laughs> so, um, you know, talk so about what in order I can't go through with it. Absolutely. But Absolutely. So then how, 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 <laughs> how is not every problem after that, every decision after that completely impossible? Cause you know, that is the way that, um, y- you know, I, that's the way that I was taught. And so to come into the rooms and have it to be okay, that, that, that I can feel angry though, even that's, I mean, but that, you know, again, we're constantly, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm always, um, confronted with how brilliant the program is because it's like, even though I came into the rooms at first and my first reaction was anger. My first reaction Mm -hmm. when I came in the rooms was why are all these people laughing? (laughs) I have real problems. Yes, yes. I I just could not understand. The speaker was talking. I remember, I remember where I was sitting. I remember, you know, who was speaking. 
And I was like, she is talking about horrific things and these people are laughing and I don't get it. Yeah. I was like, I'm in pain. But I didn't realize that their laughter allowed me to feel my own pain, allowed Mm. me to be angry. I didn't, I mean, of course, I, and that's why we say keep coming back Mm -hmm. because it took me, you know, quite a while to realize that the environment, a lot of what they're teaching is about allowing Allowing imperfection, allowing the feeling, allowing the cracks, cracks in the bowl, because yeah, anger is at the top, but there's like a whole lot going on underneath. And if you don't, for me, I'm, this is what I'm working on, you know, is because a lot of times when I have a feeling, it's so overwhelming, you know, I get, I get flooded because I think that's what, what happens when you dissociate from your feelings from so long or, or the feeling is it floods you and then you dissociate. And so to actually sit, you know, the process of that, we, we say, um, what is it? Don't just, don't just do something, sit there. Yeah. Like for me still, when I sit with the feeling, it's still a lot of times is still the, the surface feeling, but every once in a while, if I can, you know, like we do in the rooms, sit in the rooms. And a lot of times I think, um, that's, the first time, or it's a safe place for us to, to locate feelings in our body and to, you know, feel our bodies. And Mm -hmm. one, when I can actually sit with a feeling and locate it in my body and kind of doing that over and over again, every once in a while I can start, you know, to feel the like layers underneath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's not perfect. Like that's not a perfect process. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, so I want to, I want to uh, come back to 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 work again. Um, <laughs> and I think it, it it uncovers another layer of of Always progress and perfection. Yeah. Uh, progress, not perfection, whatever. Um, for me, and and it's a place where where I can apply the things that I've learned here, and I can see them working. Um, and uh, you know, so. I'm in the business of, of creating software that other people will use for things. Um, and it's, it's a big group effort. I mean, it's not just me sitting off in a corner. I mean, we've got, oh God, over a hundred people, mm-hmm. you know, working on various aspects. Uh, you know, some are, some, some of us are, are creating computer programs. Some of us are, uh, you know, designing the way in which um, our users interact with what we're building uh, some of us are figuring out what it is it needs to do f- in order um, to support the, you know, the goals of the business. Um, and, you know, so we can get paid, right? <laughs> That's the whole point <laughs> of work in, in the end is to get paid. Um, <laughs> although, you know, what I, what I feel good about um, the particular work that I do is that I, I know from, from real evidence, from, you know, uh, response from real people that the things that we create um, help people do better in their in their lives, and and we hear that, and it's wonderful. And, um, and you know, I'll say we're building we build a project product that's that's used in higher education, um, and it's used by a lot of people. And I can walk into a coffee shop, and people will look at the logo on my fleece and say, "Oh, wow, you work for that company? Oh, I love that." And you know, I, I used it all through college because, you know, <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, that's good. Um, you know, and it keeps me coming back and it keeps me coming back for more than just the money. But, um, 
the thing is, when we're saying, okay, what do we want to build? How do we want to build it? What do we want it to do? There's this, there's this ideal, you know, there's this ideal that, that we, we should be striving for, you know, play, play, platonic ideal of, 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 of this product. And, and it, and it should, all of the things that it does should be done perfectly and it should do everything that everybody wants it to do. And it should do it in such a way that it's like totally easy for them to use. So they don't really have to think about what they're doing and they can just get done the job that they're actually trying to do, which is not to use our software. You know, I mean, they're using it to, to get to, to, to accomplish something else and we can get stuck in that. It needs to be perfect. Um, it needs to do everything. And if we get stuck in that, we're never going to get done. Um, or we're going to spend all our time polishing one little turd in the corner and, and all of the rest of it is, is not going to get done or it's not going to get done well. Um, and this is, this is a hard thing for us to, to accept. Um, oh, absolutely. And I think that's exactly the same for me when it comes to work, but it also, but of course work. But of course, um, work. You, can apply to, you can apply to everything else. But it was interesting because, again, it's like a lot of times the program, you know, there is a lot of start where you are um, because, you know, there's a lot of awareness and acceptance about where you are and acceptance ab about because I a lot of my perfectionism is about being hard on myself. I am mm -hmm. like a professional at being hard on myself. And I don't even know, this is, I am a pretty aware person. Like that's one thing that sometimes people will say. I, and I think, I think when you grow up in, you know, a lot of violence, you end up almost being hyper aware. But mm. when it comes to my, my own being hard on myself, I need other people to call me on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, so for me, a lot of times though, it, it is, it's that there's, there's that first, you know, condition there's that first thing that I, that I start with but there's also what is the next step because I, I think what what I was reminded of while you're talking is like yeah you have an ideal but then you let it go right and that's and that's then, where we come to is um, yesterday's solution is was is tomorrow's problem yeah. and, is that you have to you build actually a flexibility and a resilience and the boundaries are not you know, brick walls, they're yeah. flexible. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. And, and understanding that, that we have limits, you know, that, Oof. uh, Ooh, and, that's a hard one. <laughs> and that we have to work within those limits and, and, but also that those limits change. And, and, you know, it comes back around to first things first, uh, you know, do the next right thing that, if, and for me, I want a formula for those yeah, first right things. Yeah. I want the first right thing to always be the first right thing. I don't want to have to. Oh God! Now it's a different first thing. And, you know, I, 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 another another example from my life. Um, you know, I I have um, over the last decade and plus uh, been um, building sets for a community theater, and there's a there's a really I mean that is a really good sort of training ground for you know, do the things you have to do and don't try to make it perfect. Uh, you know, these, the sets are going to be used for two weeks, you know, what, six shows, five or six shows, uh, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, maybe. Um, and, and then they're going to get torn down. Um, they have to be good enough. And, and one of the aspects that I, I work on is 
like making sure that the pieces of set that people are going to be standing on, jumping on, dancing on, whatever, um, are going to hold them up and not fall over. And so, so people aren't going to get hurt. Uh, so it has to be good enough for that. Um, and, and our little mantra is, and I'm, you've probably heard this sort of thing before, you know, it has to look good from the 10th row. Mm-hmm. Okay. It doesn't have to look good close up. Nobody's going to see it from close up and they're going to see it with lights on it. Um, they're going to see it with actors moving around and they're not going to be paying attention to the, they're going to be seeing it from their perspective. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I can look at it and I can, I can sit in the back of the theater and I can see all the flaws that I know are there, Um, (laughs) but I can also let go of that and I can get caught up in the story and in the, in the performance and in the, in the music and the emotions and, and see it as a beautiful whole. Um, and I can let go of the, the imperfections. You know, I can do the same thing with this podcast. When, when I'm editing the podcast and I'm, I can get in this mode where all I'm hearing is every time I say, um, and every time I take a really loud breath between sentences and, and every time I say, and because I do that a lot and I can get totally caught up in that or I can sort of step back you know, sit in the 10th row instead of standing up on stage, if you will. And I can listen to what it's about. And then all those little things fall away from me. And, and I'm not hearing the ums and the errs and the, the other little verbal tics and the hesitations. What I'm hearing is the content. And Right. Well, because also when you are making it, the ums and the errs are what actually brought you to the content. You know what I mean? That was yeah. your process of communicating. Cause you know, so when it's, when we think about, you know, what do you consider to be progress? There's this, it, it just remind, you know, that question, I was thinking about that question and um, uh, there's a Japanese art of uh, filling the broken cracks in say a piece of pottery with gold yeah, yeah, I've seen some of that. And that, even when you just look at that, you know, like when you look at a piece of nature, yeah. like um, some people talk about how, uh, you know, when you walk in a city, our minds get get very active because we're looking for all the differences because it's a man-made thing. It's a thing that we made. But when you look at, say, nature or you look at go- like something, a crack, you didn't control that. But the gold in the cracks, like it made it so much more beautiful, almost because you could not control it, you know. So f- at least for me, what do you consider mm-hmm. to be progress is is an effort to really embrace it all, you know, to opening to opening myself to even the most difficult emotions and the way in which that builds courage and also, you know, builds this really hard thing. <laughs> Of um, compassion and love for myself. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> you know? Oh, to yeah. Com- like, to oh, come yeah. closer and closer to ourselves. Like, so, because, yes. you know, we want to run away from the pain, like yes. you said, less and less pain. But we think that the tactics that we use are, are actually lessening pa- the pain when, in fact, a lot of times the things we use just compound the pain. Um, you know, yeah. by running away from it, stuffing it, you know, 
Yeah, because even that action is a, that action is a self denial. Yeah. It's saying I am not okay. This is not okay. That thing that happened between me and the other person is not okay. You know. Yeah. We're doing the hard thing <laughs> of sitting with it. You know, because a lot of people say, "Well, meditation, you're doing nothing." Mm. Well, yeah, you're doing nothing because, but actually, what you're doing is you're saying to yourself, "It's okay for me to be here right now, no matter what it is." You know, you're mm -hmm. practicing acceptance without a without a perfectionist. I'm going to control it. This is my will. I'm going to make this result happen. You know, you're actually yeah. allowing yourself. You know, again, I I think the program is a lot about allowing, allowing all our craziness, allowing all our ticks, allowing all the imperfections, because I think that's what makes it pretty from the 10th row. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, without, yeah. without, you know, some people say that, um, there are a lot of recordings, uh, live recordings of like classical pianists, classical, classical piano is sort of the one place where it's easiest to see. Yeah. Um, that when the artist is getting into their flow, a lot of times they're going to hit a wrong note. But that's because they're in the flow. If they were playing it perfectly, they would not have been in a situation where the music was going to be communicated. You know, if you mm -hmm. weren't saying, um, <laughs> maybe the idea, likely, probably, I'm pretty sure, you know, the idea wouldn't have come to you. You wouldn't have been as close to yourself because your natural self is going to say, um, anyway, I'm talking about you. I don't know. Am I talking about me? I hope I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, I think you're, I think you're talking about I yourself mean, in the second person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just take a little bit of your inventory there and say yes. <laughs> Thank you. I'll embrace it all. <laughs> all my imperfections. See, I had a moment where I kind of got self-critical about it. But, you know, I also want to keep my own ego in check. And I think that's, that's part of it, you know, because yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. Okay, so there's a thing. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's you know the ego thing. Um, I was somehow taught right. You don't you don't blow your own horn, uh, right? And when I came to step four, and the first time I did step four, which is the inventory step for those of you who are not familiar with the program, sorry. When I came to that inventory, I did it from our book, Paths to Recovery, and it has questions, 50-some-odd um, questions. And it starts by asking about my assets. It starts about by asking about the things that I like about myself. And I feel like that was harder for me to do than the questions that asked about my defects of character, the things that I don't like about myself. And that's because of this ingrained, innate, not innate, but ingrained feeling that you don't, you don't boast. You don't, you know. Make yourself smaller. Um, somehow, yeah, you need to, you need to make yourself smaller. And so last week, I think, yeah, last week I gave um, a talk to a local group about some of the things that we're doing in our, in our work that are um, new and different for me new and different for just about everybody in my organization. Uh, and I thought, you know, and, and actually I had been given some encouragement that other people would like to hear about this. So I gave a talk and it was a group of about 30 people there, which is like about twice as many as usually come to that particular presentation. And 
So that was sort of a nice sign, right? And people are interested to hear this. I talked for about an hour, and then there were 30 minutes of questions. That, and, the, and the sort of the thrust of the question was, they were all different questions from all different perspectives, the technical perspective, the organizational perspective, the people perspective, because I mean, there were different people there in different roles. And But the thrust of them all was, this is really neat stuff you're doing. How can we start to do it ourselves effectively. Um, you know, that was sort of the, the tone. And and afterwards, people were like, ah, it's a great talk, it's a great talk. Uh, so I came back to work, and people were like, well, how'd it go? I said, oh, it went really well. You know, okay, enough said. And then, um, so I'm giving it again internally. First first, first time gave it externally, and I'm going to even it, giving it internally. And... Um, and I actually, I sort of forced myself when I sent out, I, I forced myself to send out an email to the group um, that I'm working with saying, I'm giving this talk. It was very well received when I gave it at this other place. And, you know, you might like to come see it. And that felt very, very uncomfortable to say, to say that, to, to, to sort of go out there and say, yeah, I'm giving this, you should come. Like what? Right. <laughs> um, but, and I think if I had, I'm sure there, that there were times when I had to do something like that before the program, and and I probably didn't have as much self-awareness about the feelings that it engendered in me um, before that. And I think also that I I would have done it in a much more, when I did it, in a much more sort of confrontational way. And um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word here. Um, not blatant. Um, showy. Um <laughs> The sort of I, there's a word, and you know, like when I'm wearing bright colors and I'm really standing out, and 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 just it, the mm-hmm. word is not coming to me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a much less sort of straightforward and healthy way, uh, and and it and it felt kind of good to be able to do that, right? Um, so and I, wanna, I think that you yeah, know, it's also a process. Is uh, well, finding out what is straightforward, what is clear and clean for you, because it's like, yeah, there is the allowing your freak flag to fly, but there is, you know, what flamboyant. is, there's also <laughs> flamboyant, flamboyant is the word I was trying for, you know, um, and I think finding out the bounds and the edges of that, like, what am I comfortable with today? Because there's also a gentleness with yourself about like, you know, how much can I take? Because, you know, when that's why this is a slow, complicated thing because you know you're going to get reactions from other people and like certainly one of my um biggest challenges in the program is you know I can I can be fairly good at boundaries but a lot of times I'm not good at not taking in what other people are giving what is other people's responsibility other people's feelings not allowing them to have their feelings without you know caretaking or without thinking I have to make myself smaller you know so mm-hmm. so yeah I I I uh, want to be wild, crazy, all the parts of me, hundred percent. Because you know, I think one of the things I learned in the program is like, you know, if you are not, uh, I mean, give or take, not not rigidly a hundred percent yourself all the time, but like, that's how you find the people that are that are the best for you in your life. You know, if you're changing yourself and retreating, not only is it not fair to them, not only is it not respectful to them to give them the chance and to love them enough to know that they have the capability to, to deal with 
you, that they love you enough, that they, you know, love themselves enough or they have the skills, uh, you know, not only that, um, but here is the place where I have forgotten the word because I now just forgot my, my thought. And there we go. Okay. Imperfection. I'm just going to let it go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I want to I want to talk a little bit um, about why we're doing this topic today. <laughs> Let's. Yeah. So, uh, what I guess it was a couple of weeks ago we talked um, about your traveling experience, and yeah. and I was feeling I was feeling very good about that conversation. I thought you know we had a really good conversation and 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 some good some good stuff was said there and and I was also feeling good that that I sort of had this this uh, conversation this interview sort of you know in the can as it were so that when I came to um, a weekend where maybe I didn't have the time that weekend to to do a full show I could I could pull this out and and it would just be there and and that felt really good to me too and then when I went to pull it well so so last weekend I don't really know what happened last weekend, but I just was not having the energy. I was I was maybe going to be traveling. I wasn't traveling. I just was not having the energy last weekend. So a lot of things were sort of like up in the air and uncertain. And yeah, I don't know. And, you know, I was going to work on it on Sunday. I didn't get to it till Monday. And when I started working on it, um, you know, this thing happened. And I, I still don't know what happened. I, I, I have some ideas that the audio just sounded horrible. I mean, it was all like buzzy and distorted and it just sounded awful. And, and, you know, I got partway through and I just had to stop because it just, you know, I wasn't feeling it. I was feeling like this is ruined. Was it feeling like what an order I can't go through with it? It was to some extent feeling like that. And it was also like, can I put this out there? This is like, you know, this does not meet my standards. <laughs> this is not what I want it to be. This is not what it should be. And, you know, whenever that should word creeps in there, ah. I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, but I thought, well, um, you know, the content was really good and I really wanted to put it out. And I thought, I'm just going to have to bite the bullet. And somewhere in there, I sent you an email saying, this is what's going on. This is why it's not out there yet. <laughs> and, and, and you wrote back, and I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was, um, you know, something about about letting go and and just you know going with it. And and I thought, yeah, you know, she's right. Um, and and that was that was really very helpful to me uh, for you to say Fun. that. Uh, and so I came back to it Wednesday night and thought, okay, I'm gonna. Um, you know, I sort of recorded the intro and the outro and I got the music and, and, and I thought, okay, I'll just put it together and I'll put it out there and it won't be perfect. But, and I, I recorded a little sort of apology at the beginning about the audio being a little rough or something. And, and, and then I went to put it together and it sounded fine. I was like, wow, I really don't know what happened there. How many days elapsed between the what seemed like distorted audio and when you went back to it? Um, so I worked on it like Monday and Tuesday evenings, and it was distorted both of those times. And then when I came back to it on Wednesday, it wasn't. And it was the same mm -hmm. file. I just don't know. You know, I really don't know what what. what I, like I said, I have some hypotheses that I might test out later, but 
Um, but I, you know, I sort of feel like in some way this was, this was, uh, another, um, effing growth opportunity, um, <laughs> that, that was given to me to learn from, um, to learn, to let go of, you know, my need for it to be perfect or as close to perfect as I can get it. Damn it. Uh, and then, because then in the end it was okay. Um, you know, I had, I had accepted that I was going to put out something that was, that was less than what I wanted it to be, but that was still going to be good in, you know, Mm -hmm. in, 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 in the important way it was going to be good. And after I accepted that, then it was okay. Like, Right. Ah. I was going to ask you, I was going to, well, I was going to ask you, like, say, take this as an example. Like, how do you think you were able to see your progress, you know, from, from the perfection, uh, dealing with the perfection issue in terms of like what this, this, this particular thing, I mean, you're still pretty close, close to it since it was only, it was so recent. And I think part of what often makes things crack open is just giving them space like opening up space which i think was when i wrote you was only was the thing i was only trying to offer you know the allowance to like let there be space but how do you see your progress so what i see is is you know on monday and on tuesday i spent a lot of time trying various manipulations of the audio to try to get you know reduce the problem and you know, I would try some things and say, well, none of that's really helping. Okay, I guess I'll just go on with it as it is. And then I would come back and I would say, well, maybe I try this other thing. Um, you know, and I sort of kept circling back and and maybe not crying. Some of it was like the, you know, the insanity thing. Like, let's try the same thing and see if I get a different result almost. I mean, maybe it was a little bit different and maybe it wasn't. And, uh, but what it really came down to was, I think, finding the time and the space to come to acceptance, uh, to come to acceptance that it was what it was and that, that giving yourself some room. Yeah. And that in, in its wholeness, it was good. That's beautiful. Yes. Yes, exactly. Like if you didn't have, when we're putting something out there, if, if it didn't like, it needs all those little imperfections because we are not in control of everything. And once you start trying to be in control of every little thing, you know, the end isn't going to be cohesive. You know, it needs that natural, organic, dark and light and, you know, you know, good and bad feelings. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. You know, I mean, I know it's interesting because then when we talk about something concrete, like a podcast, we're like, oh, but that doesn't, that doesn't fly because it needs to be, (laughs) it's like this perfect thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The the phrase soulless perfection comes to mind here. Um, uh, Yeah. Or like there's a, I don't know. It's just like, there's a, I I listen to a lot of uh, Pema Chodron and she talks about how there's no cure for up and down. That there and, will always be up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No cure. And she, I mean, she talks a lot about this embracing intensity, embracing the darkness, because that's the only, I mean, I don't know how she says it. I mean, she says it in different language, but. Um, yeah. yeah. 
because I think that I think that is a little bit about of what at least I saw in your process was just that you had an awareness about it and you had a, a humility and an honesty towards it so that you could email me about it. Um, and that is all program, and, by the way. That is exactly that's that is yeah. that step ten. Um, you know, when we were on allowed it, but you also allowed yourself to be seen and you allowed yourself to be to be heard and vulnerable. Yeah. Like you don't know me very well. <laughs> and you know, you emailed me very honestly that you were having trouble with this and yeah. you allowed me to to give you feedback on it. Like these are all really hard things, but it allowed you to move through whatever it was you were going through, you know? And I think yeah. that's the thing about all these things. They just open you up to moving through it rather than constantly putting up barriers, you know, of like, this has to be this way. And that like stops the energy because that nothing, nothing is, should be any way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. I think I want to close this uh, section of the podcast. Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. And I want to close uh, with a prayer that, you know, I think a friend of mine posted this on Facebook back, I don't know, last year sometime. And I and I saw that and I was like, oh God, I need that. I need that prayer. And it says, it's very short. It says, Lord, help me to hold myself and others to a standard of grace rather than perfection. And I need that for myself. And, and that is one of the things that I so often forget for myself. Mm-hmm. So I came out of my Al-Anon meeting this morning, and I got in the car, and I turned on the radio, and and normally I would be playing a podcast, uh, because that's how I managed to get through all the podcasts that I have to listen to, is, is whenever I'm going from some place to another place, I'm listening, whether it's in the car or walking on the bus, whatever. But I was so lazy this morning, I didn't want to pull my phone out of my pocket and plug it into the uh, the car stereo. So I just turned on the radio, and the song that came on as I was backing out of the parking space uh, is this one, which is Frank Turner singing his song Recovery. And I was like, oh, this is perfect for the, for the show today because uh, there's this line in, the, in the, um, the chorus. It says, uh, it's a long road up to recovery from here, a long way back to the light. And I just thought that just speaks to the progress, not perfection, that you know, we're aiming for the light. Um, we're aiming for, maybe we're aiming for perfection, although I don't feel like I'm aiming for perfection much anymore because I know I'm not going to get there. I'm just aiming for the light. I'm aiming for improvement. And, but it's a long road. There's a lot of steps on the road. And sometimes, you know, maybe the road turns away from the light for a while and, and then I have to come back. And so I just really thought this would, was a, a great song for, for today's show. Blacking in and out in a strange flat in East London Somebody I don't really know just gave me something to help settle me down And to stop me from always thinking about you And you know your life is heading in a questionable direction When you're up for days of strangers and you can't remember anything Except the way you sounded when you told me you didn't know what I should do Like every other day and just like every boring blues on 
get swallowed by the pain And so I fumble for your figure in the darkness Just to make it go away But you're not lying there any longer And I know that that's my fault So I've been pounding on the floor And I've been crawling up the walls And I've been dipping in my darkness With serotonin boosters Cider and some kind of smelling salts So I rode up to recover In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And so my week, well, you know, we, we already talked about um, some of the ways in which I have used my, my program in my life this week, uh, both at work and, uh, and well, in preparing the podcast. And I was thinking about um, this morning, the meeting I went to this morning, uh, it's a step meeting, and this week we were talking about step eight. Uh, and I often use step meetings in particular um, to reflect on and to help me, I guess, sort of verbalize um, things that I'm struggling with uh, in my program or in my life. And this morning was no exception. Uh, and so we're talking about step eight, which is uh, made a list of the people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Maybe not an exact quote, but very close. I think that's pretty exact. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I thought about um, a particular person to whom I know that I need to make amends. And, you know, at step eight, I'm not necessarily thinking about the form of those amends because I don't really know what the form of those amends needs to be yet. But I don't have to worry about that in step eight. Step eight is about becoming willing. I know I need to do it. But at the moment, um, I am still in the place of wanting a particular outcome. You know, like if I, I, I feel like if I can repair the harm that I did uh, to this relationship, to this person, that things could go back to the way they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, realistically, this is not true. I'm still sort of in that place emotionally. Um, and I don't feel that I'm truly willing to make amends if I'm doing it with a motivation to get a particular outcome. That I'm still trying to control and manipulate. And that's that's not what making amends is about. M- making amends is not about controlling and manipulating. It's not about... Um, getting a any particular response. It's about being honest about the harm that I did, um, acknowledging it, and doing what I can to repair it. Um, and sometimes doing what I can to repair it is doing nothing, except maybe to, you know, work on changing myself so that I don't find myself doing that again to another person. And I've I've had some amends like that. Um, you know, the amends that I make to my children for the things that I did in the past. I can't change what I did. I can't. Um, but I can, for them, I can acknowledge it. Um, you know, that their experience, I can I can help to, you know, validate their experience of what happened. You know, you were not crazy, I was. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is not the way that, that a father should act to his children. Um, and then I, I think the word should is appropriate there. But And I recognized that it was wrong. And maybe at the time I recognized it was wrong, but I, you know, I couldn't do differently then. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing I can do to change what happened. But what I can do um, is work to change myself so that those things don't happen to somebody else as a result of my actions. Um, and I can, um, you know, maybe work with, with other young people who might be in, you know, dysfunctional home situations to, uh, I don't know, to, to be, to be, to be an adult who is more functional. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, that is in their life. Um, you know, those are the only things that I, I can maybe do in a positive way. Um, and I think in this, in this case, it's the same thing, um, that, you know, what I, the harms that I did, there may be nothing I can do to, to, to fix that particular situation. Um, you know, that, that, that the other person has to, or has chosen to, um, not let me be there. So, I don't know. I'm still working on acceptance. Um, and when I get to acceptance, mm-hmm. then I can be entirely willing to maybe do nothing uh, for that person because the outcome that I want is is not available to me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so <sighs> that was that was the big <laughs> um, right. Wednesday night um, meeting. The person who did a lead there read from the story in our blue book, how Elanon works, uh, the Lois, Lois's story. I forget exactly what the title is. Might be Lois's story. Um, that being Lois Wilson, the wife of Bill Wilson, who founded co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous and Lois was co-founder of Elanon. And she talked about an analogy for our recovery work of, of working in a garden, of having a garden. And that a garden needs sort of constant attention if it's going to stay pretty, if it's going to be full of flowers and not full of weeds. Um, And that our recovery program is, you know, the work of tending that garden, the garden of our our spirit, the garden of our soul. Uh, And, you know, finding the weeds and pulling them out and fertilizing it and and all this stuff. And, And you can't just go in once and and do that and then walk away and expect the garden's going to be good forever because it's not. And I always like these these analogies to things that are more in the real world. Maybe that's a metaphor. I don't know. Never was good about analogy versus metaphor. Uh, that, you know, it makes it very clear to me. Like, I can do recovery and and I can tend my garden, but if I stop tending my garden, you know, those weeds are going to grow again. Um, why do I keep coming back? Because I need to keep <laughs> need to keep tending my garden. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the, the, it was a couple of of good meetings this week. Um, how about how about your week, uh, Mara? How how was uh, how did you find recovery in your life this week? Well, um, I can I'd be happy to move on to that. But would you like any feedback, Spencer? Um, sure. Sure. Well, it's just I I heard a couple of things in your in your share that really spoke to me. I think the garden metaphor is always a really good one. And it's really interesting because uh, I once heard a share um, that a woman talked about the garden metaphor basically in the opposite way, 
which actually spoke to me. But maybe it's not opposite. Opposite is putting a judgment on it. Um, because she was, she was uh, like a gardener and she talked about how, how uh, she had just neglected her garden plot. She had neglected it and neglected it and neglected it. And then she went back to it and she found that the soil had completely repaired itself. Hmm. And she said, you know, sometimes doing nothing creates the perfect opportunities for growth. You know, she said that sometimes that the best thing for beauty is to do nothing at all. Hmm. Um, and, you know, she was talking about how this soil was just incredible when she came back to it. And, you know, when you were talking about um, the space to, you know, to do nothing, because it sounds like you're in a painful situation. You know, when we say, I don't know, you know, we wish. It's almost like the, it sounds like there's like an inherent wish to want to know. But you have, you know, again, you're allowing yourself to sort of be in that space. Yeah. Um, and I think that shows you know, a lot of compassion. Um, so, so I just want to come back around on the garden thing because what, you know, your, your example there is, um, it's, I think it speaks to our topic for the day, right? That, that we can overdo. I can so easily overdo. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of the right amount of tension and the right amount of inattention, the right amount of letting it alone and, and, you know, don't just do something, stand there. Um, <laughs> you know, that both are necessary. That I need to go into the garden and pull out the, the weeds. Everything comes in waves. The definition of a weed is, is something that I don't want growing there. That's the, that's the formal definition of a weed. You know that, right? Right. Um, <laughs> okay. No, uh, I don't, but now I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, in the right situation, I suppose a tulip could be a weed, right? Um, it's not supposed to be growing in the middle of this uh, this bed of uh, whatever. Um, you know, it's a weed. <laughs> but uh, um, but then, yeah, I have to let the plants alone to do what plants do. If I keep, you know, the, I, I guess the, there's the story of the, the you know, the, the young person who planted a garden and every day they'd go out and dig up the seeds to see if they'd started growing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now on to your week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my week, it's really interesting because I often, you know, it, with that garden um, metaphor, mm -hmm. it's a metaphor, not it, an analogy. It is a metaphor, you're uh, right. <laughs> um, you know, I often think that that I am detached from the program. Sometimes I'll be like, God, I, I, I'm not, it's not active in my life. But you know what? It always turns out that it's just the soil that's becoming richer. Um, because I, when I look back, this is uh, yeah. one of the reasons why I was looking forward to talking to you today, you know, is because I've been feeling really inarticulate. And my sponsor tells me that's actually the best time to share. You know, she was mm. like, she was like, the best time to share is when it's not coherent. Mm -hmm. Um, again, which I think speaks again to our theme for today. Yes, it does. But you know, when I, when I look back on my week, I'm like, oh my God, the amount of contact I had with the program, I made a program call, which I basically never do, <laughs> but I'm becoming more used to doing since I've been back. Um, and you know, a lot of my recovery is based on re-entry, um, yeah. and, uh, sorting out those emotions. Um, so I had two important contacts with, you know, 
uh, the program this week, which was my home meeting and then my meeting with my sponsor. Um, and you know, the meeting with my sponsor, you know, this is someone, again, I talked about a lot in my previous podcast and the way in which she just sort of walked me through the fire, um, Mm -hmm. of when I was away. Um, we went, we had our little, our, our meeting, um, and we had beautiful weather here or we had unusual weather where I am. And we went to the ocean to walk. Um, and we were talking about step two and, you know, I was talking a lot about how, when I was gone, um, I really felt abandoned by God. Um, Hmm. and, and yet I also had a consciousness of, you know, the saying of Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you uh, forsaken me? Um, which, uh, which a lot of scholars basically uh, talk about how that is actually a lot of times when we feel we are the most abandoned is when we are the most human and is when God is the most with us. Because a lot of times, it, uh, at least, and I think I this is what came out of my talk with my sponsor was, um, you know, if I, I can't be abandoned by something that I don't feel is there. Hmm. You know, that I don't feel really strongly, you know, the lack also indicates how big the um, presence also is. Hmm. Um, And there was something also about being at the ocean and nature um, because, you know, one of the big issues I had when I was gone um, was that for me, I guess my sponsor called it the pink cloud. Um, uh, I don't know. Do you know, do you guys use that term? Oh yeah. Spencer. Okay. Yeah. The pink cloud of when you, when you first get into the program and all these miracles are happening and people are coming into your life and things are happening without your doing it. And God is just like huge and in your face (laughs) and, you know, just like, uh, rescue and rescue and grace and grace and joy and love. And like, I am drunk on (laughs) the love and how then there was just such a cutoff when I, when I changed my situation and decided to, um, you know, go away for five months. And yeah. so my relationship with God has been, um, really tested because it's, it was, it was like, well, what is God if it's not the fellowship? What is God if it's not your Al-Anon program friends, um, holding you up, um, or showing you who you are or giving you that love? You know, what, where is it coming from inside you, inside me? Um, you know, when I don't have them to do it for me until I can do it for myself, when I just had so much of, well, now you really have to do it for yourself. Um, and, you know, so just to say that like being, um, by the ocean, the ocean is just such a symbol of really being held, um, of presence, and I just really connect to it. Um, and so that was really a gift, not only to um, talk to my sponsor, um, uh, you know, about this sort of abandonment presence question, um, but also uh, it was sort of a continuation because I went to my home meeting on on Monday. And since I've been back, I haven't quite been able to relate too much to my home meeting. Um And I think this week there was, again, it was mostly just this, um, 
process of feeling like, um, of, of recognizing that feeling alien or feeling an absence or feeling emptiness doesn't mean that I have to fill it with something, which I think speaks to sort of what we were just talking about mm-hmm. with the garden. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think what I, what I found I do is that um, I see emptiness. It feels wrong. It feels uncomfortable. It feels vulnerable. It's like I feel like a non-person. I can't connect. And, and then what I do um, is I, I um, switch over into kind of catastrophic thinking and mm-hmm. catastrophic what is wrong with me that I am so broken that I can't fit in and I start to make it into this thing because, which honestly is because I want to feel, I want to feel a release. I want, but what I, how I do it is by crapping all over myself. And so this week was a lot of like feeling that it's a, that it's okay to feel that it is absolutely, Oh, it is absolutely important and vital to feel um, the emptiness you know, to just be aware. Mm. Um, and it was interesting because later that day after I had talked about that, um, you know, I went to my meeting and uh, I went to my meeting and my, my home meeting is a, it's an old meeting and it's a speaker meeting and we had an amazing speaker. Um, and it was interesting because talking about step eight, um, you know, she, she did this brilliant thing where she went through all 12 steps mm-hmm. just really briefly. Mm-hmm. And one of the, what she said about step eight was she was like, I don't want to be ugly. I don't want to spend another moment of my life in that way. And that there's something about, and that, well, the thing, sorry. That's where the willingness comes from. Hey? Right. And I think, um, the way I would think about it, willingness, which is that it's giving myself an opportunity to be compassionate to myself. Hmm. Do I want to be this way? Yeah. Um, do How do I want to spend the moments of my life? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it was interesting. This was the first time I could show up at my home meeting and actually I didn't feel empty that time, that <laughs> this week. I was, I was at the, you know, at the beginning, there were some amazing people who came up to me and, and talked to me and connected with me, uh, you know, which shows me that, you know, a lot of these old stories that I have that I'm alone, you know, are just not true, that I'm alone, that I'm invisible, that I'm not seen, that I can't show up in the feelings that I have, you know, and I, I went from, from, from those feelings, really vulnerability, talking to those people to feeling, I was able to feel real happiness and joy. Something about the beginning of that meeting, the way in which I think the chair was making jokes and we were all laughing um, was just such a a warm feeling and I could connect to it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, where in Germany, there's just no sense of humor and nobody laughs the way we do, the way Americans do. It's a a unique thing to us. Um, They have their own. Well, yeah, I, I, they have their, maybe they have their own, I don't know what it is, <laughs> um, but then, you know, later, later in the meeting, I was able to feel really vulnerable and, and, and I was able to feel almost triggered and I, you know, I thought I was going to lose it <laughs> and, you know, crying and, and, um, and one of the things I love about meetings is that we can leave anytime we can come and go and 
I was very tempted to leave early because I was like, oh my God, I just can't take it. And mm -hmm. you know what? And, and that's okay. So, um, you know, that, that's what I was dealing with. And, and a lot of it, I was just going to finish with, uh, you know, saying just how much I related to what you're saying. Cause a lot of it is, you know, when we're thinking about the past and we're thinking about, you know, where we are and how, where we are now is different than the past. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that phrase. You can't go home again. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, you can't go back to the past again. That's what that really means. The so. past is gone. And I yeah. think that's all, I think that's really hard. I mean, that's hard for everyone. Of course, we're not, we're not Al-Anon's, we're not unique yeah. by any means, yeah. but I think, um, we want to use the past as a template for our future behavior. And it's really hard to just know that the present, you know, is all there is. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I had a little, um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you if you're not done, but I had a little no, please, text don't. conversation with my daughter yesterday. Um, she, she had texted me with like four little sad faces my favorite professor has cancer. And that was actually the day before. And then yesterday, um, she texted me about, uh, actually, I accidentally sent a text to her that I meant to send to my wife. And she's like, was that supposed to be for me? <laughs> um, and, and so then I had the, the, you know, the conversation back up on the screen and I saw that and I realized that, you know, I had, I had not given like a really thoughtful response. Um, so I texted back and, you know, that cancer is not a death sentence. And she said, true, but it's stage four throat cancer. Um, and so, um, I shared something that, that I heard in a meeting uh, a couple months ago about, um, finding gratitude in the time that we had with somebody. I think this person was actually talking about, um, her dog, but, you know, it applies right. to lots of situations, finding gratitude that we had that time um, and we can be sad, but, but, um, not dwelling in the, you know, the anger and the resentment that it's being taken finding away. Finding a way. Yeah. Finding a way to mm. move through it. I think I have a friend, um, I have a friend who's been dealing with a lot of illness and, um, she has also other people who have a lot of, who are dying in her life. And a lot of times we talk about that the only way to like, move through is to also, yeah, to feel the anger through completely. I mean, yeah. we sometimes talk about like breaking plates, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then, and then the gratitude comes, you know, how for each of us, where does the, gra how does the gratitude come up? Yep. So she wrote back, she says, I feel that today I was thinking about, I think on an unrelated topic, I think that's what she meant to say here. Be glad I got to be around the amazing people. Full stop. And uh, so, you know, she's not in program, but obviously she's absorbed some. <laughs> and it was, it was nice. I had a couple of good conversations with my kids recently, which is kind of amazes me to some extent. Yeah. And then naturally, it, uh, I hope it shows, I, I don't know, I think it kind of shows you how you're showing up in people's lives um, in such a positive way and that there's it seems sounds like there are some relationships that that you know you feel like you have to fix and you yeah. know i hope you can see from at least that exchange that you know you are showing up and i'm, I'm, I'm not a horrible person it's true <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right um 
Wow. Okay. So looking ahead, um, I think next week we're going to be talking about tradition five. Uh, and I don't have that one in front of me, but it's the one that says, you know, what the program is that we, we work the 12 steps that we, um, gain understanding and are able to encourage our alcoholic relatives and we welcome and encourage, uh, families of alcoholic relatives or families of relatives of alcohol, however that goes. Um, you know, it like captures the whole program in, in like three sentences. I love it. Uh, mm. So if, uh, if y'all have thoughts about tradition five that you'd like to share, you can leave a voicemail or send an email. And, uh, we have a voicemail number at seven, three, four, seven, zero, seven, eight, seven, nine, five. The number is also on our website, which is the recovery show.com. There's also a voicemail button there and you can just talk to your computer instead of using your phone. Uh, or if you want to send email, um, that's you would send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. And we really love to hear from you. I'm always happy to hear from uh, from you who are listening. And uh, we do have a website, as I've mentioned, therecoveryshow.com. You can find uh, notes about each episode. You can actually listen right on the website if, you know, uh, I listen on my phone to podcasts, but I know a lot of people just go to the website and listen. That's cool. Um, we have a list of suggested topics, and we have um, I always put videos for the music that's in the episode um, in the show notes for each episode. So you can go there if you want to um, listen to the whole song or uh, find out more information about it. So um, we actually piled up a couple weeks' worth of email and voice messages from y'all. Uh, but first, I want to take a break. And uh, Mara, could you tell us about the song you selected for the break? Sure, absolutely. So the song that I thought would speak to our theme today is uh, a song from the Mountain Goats. Um, it's called Broom People. And the lyrics, as you'll hear, it's a, it's a brief song, um, but he starts to talk about all the chaotic things in his life. He talks about dishes in the kitchen sink. Um, he talks about his friends who he's not related to. He talks about floor two foot high with newspapers, white carpet thick with pet hair, half eaten gallons of ice cream in the freezer. <laughs> and it just, it's just, it's so immediate about the little things in life that we, the everything, the everything that is just imperfect and that is always imperfect. I mean, certainly I'm always going to have ditches, dishes in the kitchen sink. And that's something I used to feel incredibly guilty about, but you know what? I found a roommate who also loves the same thing. And this is how we express our love for each other <laughs> <laughs> is by allowing ourselves to fill the dishes with, I, I'm not even joking. And this is, <laughs> um, but, uh, but he also says, um, but in your arms, in your arms, I am a wild creature. And he says, in the long tresses of your hair, I am a babbling brook. You know, he talks about, but there is something, uh, there is something else. There is something that holds me. There is somewhere to be wild. There is something that is going to take care of me. I am taken care of. Um, and it's just such a, it's such a remarkable, wonderful song. Hudson in the garage 
All sorts of junk in the unattached spare room. Dishes in the kitchen sink. New straw for the old broom. Friends who don't have a clue. Well-meaning teachers But down in your arms In your arms I am a wild creature Dive into the uh, the email bag here. We've got uh, quite a collection, as I said. Uh, Diane sent a very short note with a song suggestion. If we do an episode for adult children or with adult children of alcoholics, and her suggestion is "Only a Dream" by Mary Chapin Carpenter. And thank you for that, Diane. I haven't listened to the song yet, um, but uh, it's definitely going to go on the list. Um, Julie, who was um, one of the listeners who shared her story in uh, episode 70 about living with alcoholism uh, wrote to us. She said, I just heard Maria read my letter and your comments. What a sweet gift to my heart. And then later she sent another note. Said, I just went for a run before church. I listened to the latest podcast again. So, so, so good. And listening to everyone again, I heard different things than before. My girl is now full blown in full-blown self-destruction and has cut her communication with me. She has quit her wonderful job and is spending all her time with the rehab boyfriend who has also relapsed. Sigh. Let me say again, your program is one of the tools God is using to keep me sane and calm as I am forced to sit in acceptance. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Julie. P.S. Please also thank your wife and kids for allowing you to share your story that involves them so intimately. It is a selfless selfless gift to all of us and makes the show so much more effective and real. I'm so grateful. And another P.S. I also wanted to you to know that I love both the Sweet Surrender song and the Drowning's Better with your friends. I felt like both captured my relationship with her then and now to a T. Um, we have an email from Carrie. You want to read that for us? 
Sure, absolutely. Hi, Spencer. Love your show. I appreciate how you produce podcast after podcast. Even if it's on your own, you still manage to let the show go on. I don't think you have any idea how important that is, or maybe you do. Some of us are not in in any step program, not in any meetings. You are our weekly meeting. I would wait with anticipation for the latest recovery show podcast to come out, and inevitably there would be something that spoke to me to help sustain me and sometimes straighten out my stinking thinking. How grateful I am to have come across this show, which I found when my loved one was at the lowest point and I needed the support so desperately. My loved one is now in recovery. Things aren't perfect, and I still listen regularly to the podcast. I am convinced my higher power led me to the show to help hear what I needed to get through that extremely difficult season. Thank you for being there. Sincerely, Carrie. And and thank you, Carrie. But I will say, um, really, um, try to get to a meeting. <laughs> I don't know. You have any thoughts on that, Mar? Well, it was actually one of the topics we never uh, covered in my travel podcast, which was how vital your podcast and other podcasts were to my recovery. Mm-hmm. And so I certainly understand what she's saying. Um, there are some places that actually surprisingly don't have meetings. Um, yeah. Or a lot of times they have a meeting that might not have a kind of recovery that speaks to you. Um, I mean, w- one of the pieces of, of, of advice or feedback that I guess I would give, which was, um, I've had incredible success going to AA meetings when there isn't a strong Al-Anon program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since, since it's the same disease, I mean, it's, it's different, um, behaviors. It's, it's a little, it's more, a lot more about breaking down the ego and the destructive tendencies, um, first and foremost, um, but even if there's not an Al-Anon meeting, you can go to an you can go to an AA meeting. I resisted doing that, and I th- it, it took me a while. And I think that we get to meetings in our own time. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, mm-hmm. um, they have to be our own time, not anybody else's timeline. Um, but I, I wouldn't discount um, at all uh, the AA meetings um, if that's all that's available. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I haven't tried that. The only, I mean, I've gone to to open talk AA meetings. I have not, and I think I went to one once with my wife in Texas because, um, you know, we were there, and it was supposed to be an open meeting, and it turned out to, I guess it was open, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't the talk speaker talk that we were expecting. Um, and I've been Certainly to some you, sort of generic twelve yeah. step meetings, like at. Um, um, at a conference I was at this summer, there was a 12-step meeting at noon, and it was just, you know, 12-step um, meeting. Well, when you were talking about ego earlier, yeah. um, it reminded me because I think, um, yeah, in, in AA, it's a, it's a lot more about breaking down yeah. that really, really strong ego yeah. um, at first. And I think that can also be helpful, um, you know, to a lot of Al-Anon, a lot of Al-Anons as well. Yeah. Okay, we have um, a voicemail from Akila. Um. Hey, Spencer, it's Akila. I was calling regarding the episode Living with Active Alcoholism. I wanted to thank you, uh, Maria, and the other guests who shared your experience with active alcoholism. It's 
gave me a lot more compassion for my mom who had an alcohol so often don't think about what it was like for her because I always think about my own pain. So thank you for that reminder. Um, I also wanted to make a comment about the intuition or God's will episode. One of the things that I've learned and that's taken me quite a while to understand until just recently is um, part of the hard part for me of listening to my intuition for God's will is that I'm afraid to make a mistake. And my um, sponsor actually has me reading pages 86 to 88 in a big book. And I know Adrian mentioned something from there. And at the very end, it says, we're going to mess up, essentially. We're going to mess up. And that's part of how we learn God's will so we can't be afraid to make mistakes. And that's been a huge thing I've had to deal with, paying attention to, oh, I had this thought. It seemed like a good idea. I ignored it. Now I'm having repercussions because I didn't follow it. But I learned now that if I had that kind of thought again, I need to follow it because that is my higher power trying to give me a clue as to the best way to go. All right. Thanks. Appreciate you. Bye. Thanks, Akila. And I had to pull out the had to pull out the big book and look at pages 86 to 88. Um, and that's the discussion of, of step 11 and about, um, you know, becoming in conscious contact with our higher power. Uh, and uh, yeah, good stuff there. Any thoughts, Mara? No, I think absolutely. I think you, you covered it. <laughs> All right. Good thoughts there. Um, got a short email from Kara, I think, um, to say thank you. I just want to drop you a line to tell you how much listening to your podcast has helped in my recovery. I truly appreciate what you are doing. I have been attending Al-Anon meetings for over a year, and I do get a lot from each meeting and hope that my contributions are helping someone else. Your podcast has been a lightning rod in my ability to understand my issues. My home group is currently focusing on the daily readings with some conversation on adopting a schedule, which would include step work, but change is slow. Your podcast speaks directly to my thoughts, feelings, and concerns and progress. I am so thankful to have found this program. Thank you for all you do, Kara. And and thank you, Kara. Uh, we got a, a fairly long email from Rachel that I think you have um, there. Do you, Mara? Yeah, I do. Hi, Spencer. Just wanted to write and thank you again for the work you are doing. I wrote in a while ago, maybe November, before I started attending Al-Anon. I was listening to the podcast and working up to attending a meeting. You read my letter on, la- on air and said simply, Rachel, go to a meeting. So I did. And I'm so glad I took your advice. The first meeting I attended wasn't a very good fit for me. It was a study group, and they had no idea that I was a newcomer. And being who I am, I was not going to volunteer that information, like most of us. (laughs) Just getting (laughs) over the hurdle of stepping into the room and sitting down was enough for me. After the meeting, I was speaking to a couple of women, and I mentioned that it was my first meeting. So they gave me a newcomer packet. I was discouraged because the meeting wasn't a good fit. But after listening to enough of the recovery show, I knew that not all meetings were alike and that if I kept trying, eventually I would find one that was right for me. The next week I went to a different one and it was very small. The women who were there each reminded me of an aunt, either in looks or personality. The one sitting across from me looked and acted like my father's sister and the one beside me like my mother's sister and so forth. I felt immediately welcome and was able to admit that I was new and had not had any sort of orientation. They promptly stopped the meeting and started a first step meeting. 
I felt bad at first because I didn't want to disrupt their routine, but as they assured me that it was just as good for them as it was for me. I've since attended that meeting a number of times and a couple of others that I think I'll continue going to. Winter is a very busy time in my work, so I haven't been able to attend regularly. Also, the weather has been awful. No kidding. (laughs) But I've been listening to your podcasts, writing in my journal, and attending meetings when I can. An update on my situation. When I wrote last, I was living with active alcoholism. My husband was drinking, and my life was typical of someone who was living with the disease. On a Friday in January, I went to a meeting, and when I got home, he was gone. He had gone out to get more alcohol and was arrested for a DUI. Because it was Friday, he wouldn't have had a bail hearing until the following Tuesday. So we spent Saturday, Sunday, and Monday in the county jail. During that time, he reached his bottom, and one of the officers gave him the 12 Steps book from AA. He is currently in an outpatient program, seeing a therapist, and attending AA. He has a sponsor and has been sober since then. The morning after he was arrested, I was a wreck. I was terrified and hadn't slept. I looked for the phone list I had gotten from the meeting I had been going to, but I had discarded it thinking, I hate talking on the phone. Why would I call someone I don't know? The only thing I had was the newcomer packet from the first meeting I attended on which a woman had written her name and phone number. I remembered her from that meeting, but hadn't seen her since and was nervous about calling her because I knew she wouldn't remember me. I called anyway. I was so desperate for someone to talk about what was happening that it overrode my introverted nature. She didn't remember me, but she was happy to talk to me anyway. She asked what I was doing that night and said, and I said I would be wallowing on my couch watching Sherlock episodes on Netflix and sharing a bowl of cereal with my dogs. (laughs) She invited me to a potluck that her home group was having. There would be a meal and then she was going to be one of the speakers. I was so grateful. We arranged to meet there. I tried to throw together some sort of hot dish, but wasn't in a very good state. I don't think it was probably very good, but everyone was kind and people ate it anyway. That night is one that I will never forget. It was a large group of strangers who all knew exactly where I was emotionally. They had all been in similar places. They fed me, talked to me, listened to me, and bolstered me up to withstand the next few days. I'm still working on becoming a regular member. Like I said, my work in the winter is extremely busy. During the months of January, February, and March, I often start before the sun is up and end after dark. This spring and summer, I plan to spend a lot more time working on my recovery. I might even find a sponsor. Who knows? But I'm grateful to you and your podcast for giving me the information I needed about Al-Anon meetings before I started going. It was a perfect way to ease my way in. Thank you, and I'll keep coming back. Rachel. And, I mean, I think that that is just an inspiration um, to how the program can work in our lives if we reach out. Um, Right. And And I think she keeps talking about how she's not a regular member, but she sounds committed. She sounds like she has the willingness. And that's really, that's, that's all, that's all. That's enough. Willingness. Yeah. (laughs) There's Um, no perfection. There's no perfect program. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I have a letter from Deirdre that is, you know, sort of similar in, in many ways to Rachel and different. Hi to Spencer and to all at the recovery show. First, I wish to thank you so much for your wonderful show, which has been a lifeline to me many times. I love your show and have learned a great deal about how to deal with my current situation. I live in Ireland, and I'm married to my husband five years. He's an active alcoholic, and we have three small children. 
My husband was in rehab but relapsed after four months and is now more determined than ever that he doesn't have a problem. I love my husband deeply, and at the moment I am not ready to make any decisions regarding leaving. I no longer ask questions, follow him, or try to catch him out, etc., and I try to detach, which I find difficult. I see it as futile to try and control, and we also have less fights, which leads to a more peaceful household. I attend Al-Anon and personal counseling. Both are an enormous help. I'm finding small pieces of serenity. However, one thing I'm finding so hard to cope with is the emotional loneliness. My heart sinks every time he walks out the door to the pub, even though I accept it will happen, and I know he has an illness. I cannot seem to shake the feeling of constantly being abandoned. I try to focus on myself, and I force myself to do activities with our kids without him, but feel such a void doing this, and I do not have serenity at these times. I cannot seem to move through this phase. In my head, I realize the need to focus on myself and live my own life, etc., but I feel crippled by a sense of longing for my husband's company. I am wondering, would you at the recovery show have any suggestions regarding this and any other tools I could use? I know I can be happy, and I badly want to give my children a happy childhood. I know I need to change, but at the moment I am stuck at this phase of feeling abandoned on some level. I would be so grateful for any help you could give me. I am deeply appreciative of your show and your time. Kind regards and best wishes to you all. Deirdre. And uh, then she wrote again, I would also like to add that I find it particularly challenging with three small kids, a lack of finance, and sometimes, oftentimes a lack of transport. I live five miles from a town. We have one car, and there is no public transport. So when my husband goes drinking every evening, I feel stranded. I can't get to see friends or get to meetings as I have to mind my kids, which of course is wonderful, and I am so blessed, but I really struggle with trying to have my own life or our own lives as in myself and the kids. And I wrote back to her and, and sort of suggested that she could reach out to the Al-Anon community for support. I also said, I, th- I think loneliness is something we all face when we live with active drinking. The alcoholic retreats into their own world, and even when they are physically present, they are not there for us emotionally. At least that was true in my life. Um, I suggested reaching out to members of the Al-Anon group. Maybe you know, she could get a ride to a meeting. Maybe somebody could watch her kids. Maybe there's a meeting that provides child care. Uh, maybe somebody could come and, and visit with her, um, you know, and we just heard from Rachel, like she got invited to a potluck. I mean, how, how, how right. wonderful is that? Um, you know, or, or can you call other Eleanor members on the phone if you can't meet in person? And yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and for me personally, you know, there's this emotional barrier to like reaching out because I feel like I'm going to be imposing on the other person. And the ironic thing is that when I get a program call, I don't feel imposed on at all. But I feel like if I make a program call, I'm going to be imposing on somebody, you know? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> of course. Um, but I also think, um, oh God, what a what a heartbreaking. My yeah. heart just identifies so strongly with that yeah. feeling of loneliness and that feeling of abandonment when our loved ones um, pull away. And I think at least what spoke to me in her email was, you know, for me, a lot of the program has been about, um, obviously the, the program is about focusing on ourselves, but that process of detaching and starting to come to realize, you know, the way in which connection and disconnection comes in waves, um, that process and that loneliness is excruciating and yeah. it's yeah. 
why we have the steps. It's why I would encourage her to get a sponsor because a sponsor is also someone who can probably meet her where she is, mm-hmm. um, meet her on her schedule, on her time, because a lot of times, even if we can't get to meetings or if we have limitations, um, the gift of sponsorship um, is someone who knows us and someone mm-hmm who has, usually you can pick someone, you know, different from a program call. Sometimes it's a shot in the dark, a sponsor. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to find the right one, but sometimes usually they have someone, there's someone who has a lot of recovery and there's someone who can, um, walk us through these really, really, really dark times at the beginning of our recovery. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it, we can't do any of this stuff alone. Right. Right. Yes. I say that so many times. Every time I share in a meeting, almost every time I share in a meeting at the end, I say, you know, thank you for being here because there's no way I could do this without you. And, and that is so true. I mean, I couldn't do this on my own. And I know that sometimes we have to switch that process of switching that from our loved ones to like ourselves and our own recovery program. What is our self care program? That that's not, easy. That's why it's a program. That's why it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Deirdre did write back um, and uh, she says, I would be hesitant to reach out as I do indeed feel I am posing on people. That, however, is my own stuff and voices in my own head. I have also realized in the last few days that I need to accept my husband's behavior isn't a personal thing against me. It is his Mm -hmm. illness that drives his behavior. There are great people in my Al-Anon meetings, and in truth, I have perhaps isolated myself somewhat. I am codependent, even in relationships without alcohol problems, so I could look at this as an opportunity to do things differently that I find so uncomfortable. As your last podcast said, another effing growth opportunity. (laughs) I laughed at that. So my goal this week will be to reach out more and stop hoping my husband is maybe this week going to have an amazing wake-up call and transform into an emotionally available saint. Yeah, don't wait for that. It, you know, and when it does happen, then you can be pleasantly surprised. Well, and also the it sounds like there's a lot of awareness going on, but we always yeah. love to skip yeah. that middle acceptance part and go straight oh, to action. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. it takes a while to get to the action part. Yep, yep. But I, I just, you know, I thought, wow, there's, there's some real. You know, spiritual right? progress there between her oh, first I note and her a second, lot of right? Awareness, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, there we are, and uh, I just uh, I want to thank Lisa and Diane again for their continued support of the recovery show, and uh, I want to close um, the show with the other song that I heard driving home from my meeting this morning. So you know, I I came out, I got in the car, and it was Frank Turner singing "Recovery." And then the next song up was this one, which is the Cranberries singing Dreams. And, and what I heard in this song, um, was, it's, about, it's about changing, it's about reaching for a dream, about not quite achieving it, but continuing to strive for that dream. And I just want to read a few of the lyrics. Well, my life is changing every day in every possible way. And oh, my dreams, it's never quite as it seems. I know I felt like this before, but now I'm feeling it even more. And then I open up and see the person falling here is me, a different way to be.
Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.